Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Church Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people take their next step to move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at northridgechristian.com. Good morning, Northridge. It is, it is truly an honor to be here, a blessing to be here. And you know how you, you establish an opinion of something kind of like that? I got here late last night and uh, was supposed to have been here early and had some issues with a little thing. A hinge fell off the plane when we landed in Raleigh on the way to Atlanta, and they wouldn't let us fly in that plane again. So I was a little bit late. But when I came around the corner and I saw your campus and I drove up and the care of your buildings and I walked in and the friendliness of the folks. uh, And then here again this morning, just kind of observing. I've been doing church all of my life and and the opinion I have formed is it's just off the charts. I'm impressed uh, with your hospitality. I'm impressed with so many different things. And it truly is an honor to be here. And as Mike said, to be partnered with North, Northridge in our work down in Haiti. So let me say, first of all, thank you uh, for coming here and being a part of this worship service, the blessing we're receiving. But I want you to know that you are a blessing to the people of Haiti, and I'll tell you in just a minute how that works. About uh, 17 years ago, my wife and I went to India. We had a pesky little Indian missionary who um, said when he was visiting with us, why don't you come and dedicate a building you're helping us build in India? I said, well, when are you going to do this? He said, well, about three years. Well, three years from now, he'll forget. So I said, well, sure, yeah. I never intended to go. I'd never been outside the continental United States. I had a philosophy that uh, we build our church, we'll grow, we'll give more money, and we'll send it to our missionaries. That's the end of my involvement. But you don't tell an Indian you'll do something, and he won't forget it, and he didn't. And he kept nagging and nagging. And out of pure guilt, my wife and I and one other couple from the church went to India to dedicate this building. That trip to India changed my worldview. It changed my wife and I's life. It changed our opinion about things. So much about us in the last 17 years has been shaped by those trips to India. We saw for the first time in our lives poverty. Now, I thought we had done some work with the poor in our community in Florida, But in India, there is something called extreme poverty. Now, that's a technical term. The World Health Organization defines extreme poverty as people who live on a dollar a day or less. 2.6 billion people, a world of about 7 billion people, 2.6 billion people live on $4 a day or less in our world today. And a billion people live in extreme poverty a dollar a day. And when you see it, and you see it in hordes, it changes your life. It is an existence that has no redeeming value. It doesn't just bring humility, it brings devastation. It comes heavily, its hand upon women and children, and it is hideous to behold. While we were there the first time, we met three little children, Seema, Chanda, Suraj. They were albino Indian children. 
They were literally sunburned, their skin diseased, the, the clothes on their backs falling off from rot. You could see there were white hair. Uh, you could see things literally crawling in there. They were the most pitiful little things I've ever seen in my life. And the last day we were there, my wife and I said, you know what, we can't help them all, but can we help these three? And so from that day forward, my wife and I began to help those three little kids with just very, very little American dollars. Didn't take very much at all. But what that did for us when we would go back and we made multiple trips to India after that, what that did for us to see them year after year as their health began to improve with just a little bit of care, their eyesight began to return. They went to high school, they graduated. Now, Suraj, the boy, the man now, has a job and he's supporting himself. And the two girls both have jobs working at the mission. And to see what that devastating poverty was doing to those little kids. They were abandoned children, by the way, throwaways, they're called in that culture. Because of their handicap and because of poverty and superstition, they were just abandoned by their parents. And to see what a little bit of help could do to make it possible for them to ultimately help themselves and climb out of that horrible existence changed our lives. When I retired in 2010, I'd gone to India several times, and I left that for the younger guys. That's, a, that's quite a trip. But my wife and I wanted to do something to continue to attack this extreme poverty within the Christian family. And I became convicted that there was a responsibility that the church has, that Christians have, to the Christian poor. Not poor by what we're used to in this country, but poor in that extreme poverty category people existing on a dollar a day or less. And so we began to focus on solutions to extreme poverty, sustainable solutions. I became convicted that uh, the church has done a great job of caring for people who couldn't care, care for themselves, but we could have done a better job of building sustainable approaches into poverty alleviation along with presentation of the gospel. And that's what CORE is. We began to work and focus in Haiti. Uh, Haiti's a country of about 10 million people. Most live in rural existences, countrysides. 80% of the rural population of Haiti are categorized as living in extreme poverty. Now think this morning. I went through McDonald's on the way here and it was a dollar and six cents to get a Diet Coke. I've blown my dollar for the day. Most of us had some breakfast or we put gas in the car. And we spent that dollar shortly after we woke up in some way in our existence. Imagine if that's all you've got. A dollar a day. CORE is a ministry that pursues sustainable solutions to extreme poverty within the Christian community of Haiti. Now, somebody always asks, well, where's CORE come from? I asked last night, does anybody know where it came from? And one of your guys held his hand up. You guys have been uh, partners already, been down there some a couple times from your church. CORE is just an Old Testament name, and I won't take time to tell you the story. It's kind of fascinating. Uh, when Hezekiah was the king, he reinstituted worship, and he taught the people how to give. They hadn't done it for a long time. And they were so motivated, they started giving and they gave so much, it took five months, according to this Old Testament story, five months just to count and categorize what they gave. Wouldn't you like to have an offering like that, Mike? 
Every preacher I know would. And Hezekiah the king appointed one man to take care of distribution of all the tithes, but he appointed another man to see to the distribution of all of the free will offerings. And about the only instruction we have were to make sure that you took care of the little ones in the distribution of that money. So we took that name, Core, K-O-R-E, and we use it as an acrostic to sort of define and direct what we do in this ministry. K stands for kindness. It's the practical touch of Jesus. It's Jesus in a pragmatic way being introduced into the lives of those who are incredibly poor. Some time ago, a friend of mine, I think Mike knows him well, Florida preacher now, John Hampton, asked me to come speak at his church, and he said, you can talk about whatever you want to, but I want you to use the outline of reaching, serving, and helping people because that's the series we're in. And I started thinking about it, and that really does give me a good outline for, for ministry. Reaching people, that's the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Uh, to go and make more and better disciples. All of my for about 50 years I preached. All of my ministry, that's been my mission, to make disciples for Jesus Christ. More disciples, better disciples. And reaching people in Christ, that's the mission of the church. Serving people, I think that's relief. That's helping people who cannot help themselves. Caring for people who are incapable of caring for themselves. And when there is a catastrophic event, the church often is sacrificial in our giving and response to catastrophe. Whether it's a hurricane on our coast or it's a tsunami around the world or as in Haiti uh, seven years ago, an, an earthquake that was catastrophic. 200,000 people or more died. 1.5 million were left homeless. And the church responded from all over the world pouring millions of dollars into that country. But the tragic thing, to me, it's a tragedy. All of that money, all of that relief effort poured into Haiti. And when the relief dollars ran out, most of those ministries that came into Haiti, NGOs, pulled out. And the poverty still remained. So helping people is the next step, I think, to attacking poverty. Not just relief efforts that are spent and then once they're gone, they have to be replenished. Is there a way to build a sustainable approach to poverty alleviation? And that was the challenge that CORE wanted to accept. It sort of started out as uh, my wife and I, our, our retirement thing. We had no intention, I'll be very honest with you, we had no intention of this thing growing like it has. We have about 30 Haitians who work with us now in Haiti. We have eight Americans who on this side of the ocean work in CORE. And uh, it, it has grown into a significant ministry because in part of partnerships like yours. But our determination is not to give handouts, but a way out of that poverty, a hand up to get a foothold to economic stability. Not to enable people, but to make it possible for them to enable themselves. And so CORE is trying to help people in that way. Now I've been asked 
Is that legitimate missionary work? Should our missionary dollars be spent for that? And I've had to answer that biblically. And I discovered some things that I had missed for so many years. For instance, I want you to look at some scriptures with me and just very quickly. James chapter 2, if you have your Bible. James chapter 2 is a text that I've preached many, many times. And it's the faith and works controversy. You know, you show me your faith by your works. Uh, it, it's just, we know it. We've talked about it before. But here's what I miss. What good is it, my brother, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Listen to the example. Suppose a brother or a sister, that's a believer, a fellow Christian, is without clothes or daily food. That is the very definition of extreme poverty. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. And then love. We always talk about love in the church. What is love? We know John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But 1 John 3.16 says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers, those of like precious faith. If anyone, and here's the example, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us love not with words and tongue only, but with actions and in truth. Then one other scripture that came to mind. Hebrews chapter 6. Life in Christ always produces something. It produces results. That's the dynamic of the Christian faith. If you're not producing anything, you need to kind of check your faith. Is it real? Is it still active? Has it grown inert? What's going on? Because real faith in Christ produces results. Hebrews 6 challenges us to leave the elementary things of faith behind us and to grow in Christ, to mature, get some momentum, move towards something, or you're going to lose ground. You know, the little red, red wagon, you ever seen those little uh, radio flyer red wagons? Always used to have one of those, and we loved to go downhill in them, chase downhill in them. You always had to come back uphill. In your Christian life, if you imagine yourself in a little red wagon, and you say, you know what, I have been working really hard, I'm going to kick back a little bit. I'm just going to rest here for a little while. If the Christian life is an inclined plane, if we're always supposed to be growing and maturing and motivated, momentum going someplace, if we try to rest and begin to coast, you never coast uphill. You always lose ground. You coast downhill. And Hebrews chapter 6 says don't do that. I'm going to read this from the Message Bible. I I admitted in the last service, I'm not a very good listener in church. I've never had to do it. For 50 years, I was a preacher. People had to listen to me, you know. Take it or leave it. I'm talking. You listen. But as a, as a church member now, I found I'm not a very good listener. And I find myself occasionally, I have that app on my Bible or in my phone, the Bible, you know. And I was sitting in church one day. And I discovered it's got all these different translations. You push a little button, you get a different translation. So I was reading the scripture from the sermon, and I'd read through about 10 or 11 different translations. That's how much I wasn't listening. And I came to the Message Bible. I have to admit, I had never really ever read out of the Message Bible. 
And I was reading Hebrews chapter 6, and I love the way this says it. And there's a phrase here that we've kind of adopted as what we're trying to do. Listen to what it says. Verse 9, I'm sure that won't happen to you. You're not going to lose momentum, he's saying. I'm sure that won't happen to you, friends. I have better things in mind for you. Salvation things. I love that phrase. Salvation things. It's what we do in our Christian walk. It's how we get results by being involved in salvation things. And then here's the example. God doesn't miss anything. He knows perfectly well all the love you've shown him by helping needy Christians and that you keep at it. You see what these three scriptures are saying? And there are many more. Faith, real faith works and real love responds and real Christians grow. And each of these are illustrated the same way by Christians who are doing salvation things by helping the poor in Jesus' name. I think it's biblical. I think economic development along with evangelism and discipleship is biblical as it can be. Now, how do we help the poor? Well, the easiest way is relief, honestly. And we respond in times of need. And relief makes us feel good, doesn't it? We, we can help somebody out of a hole that they can't help themselves out of. But CORE has a little phrase we use, beyond relief. What's the next step? How do we get to a point where we don't have to, we, we just don't wait for the next catastrophe to come along to help these people who can't help themselves? How can we enable them to help themselves? And we use the phrase, hope changes everything. And CORE is about producing hope for today hope for tomorrow, and hope for eternity. Now, eternity, obviously, that's life in Christ, and we are a Christian ministry, and we are proclaiming the gospel. Hope for today, that's our feeding program. It's called 625. 625 is, uh, takes $6, pretty catchy, $6.25 to put animal protein in a child's diet for a month. $75 a year adds animal protein to the diet of a Haitian child. Do you know that most Haitians never eat any kind of animal protein? And the kids in these orphanages, there are about 800,000 in orphanages and care homes. They're either true orphans, have lost one parent, or the parents have lost them, or the parents can't afford them. About 800,000 kids. And one meal a day of beans and rice is kind of the staple, and they hope they get that. And because of that, the cognitive skills that give uh, common sense, reasoning, logic, those kinds of things, purposeful decision-making, if kids don't get animal protein in the first six years of life, then they, they just don't develop those abilities. Now, maybe this is a too big a leap, but there are a lot of folks that, that believe this, that Haiti is a third-world country because the people uh, simply cannot fight the corrupt government that keeps control of that country. But anyway, animal protein, 625, we, we feed it to kids. That's hope for today. If you're a hungry child, you want to be fed. And by the way, we don't care if it's a Methodist chicken or a Baptist chicken or a Christian chicken. Anybody who wants to come along and help us with 625, we'll take that money and we'll turn it directly into food for those kids. But the dollar does two things. It not only feeds a child, where do we get the chicken? Well, we buy it from our farmers. 
And I'll tell you about them in a second. But it helps our new poultry farmers establish their own markets early on. And that's hope for today. There are plenty of hungry kids in Haiti, and the feeding program is growing. Um, minimally 2,000, most of the time now we're four, even 5,000 kids every month that are being fed through 625. Hope for tomorrow is an interesting challenge. An awful lot of our giving has been counterproductive. We have made the poor dependent upon us, almost feeling entitled that we take care of them. In other words, a lot of our missionary work has institutionalized poverty. When we began to do our work in Haiti, we told the, the adults we were working with, no handouts, nothing's for free. We'll loan you money, you sign a contract, you pay back the loan, we'll help you be successful in your business, but no handouts. And we got a lot of pushback because the culture was the missionary comes here and he takes care of us. He's the source of our revenue. But when we stopped doing that, we found a younger generation first. Now the older folks have caught on. They've learned from the young. But a younger generation first said, you know what? This gives me an opportunity. This gives me a chance to take care of myself and my family. Robert Lupton wrote a book called Toxic Charity. He said this, giving to those in need what they could be gaining from their own initiative may well be the kindest way to destroy people. He continued, when we do for those in need what they have the capacity to do for themselves, we disempower them. So what can we do? Well, instead of just being satisfied with activity in our missionary work, we want to focus on outcome. What will these missionary dollars actually accomplish over the long haul? Obviously, winning people to Christ, that has eternal significance. And helping people grow in Christ, that's important because that's how the kingdom is going to expand. But economic development also is a legitimate way to help people help themselves. So the O and the R, I'll go quickly now. The O in core stands for opportunity. The R stands for resources. Those are the two things that you have to have to climb out of poverty. Opportunity and resources. In Haiti, they're in short supply. Aren't very many opportunities, and there are very few resources available to the poor. And I'm suggesting that in the church, our money has to do more than just mask the pain of poverty in times of catastrophic loss. We need to invest in sustainable solutions to poverty for Christian brothers and sisters. <clears throat> that may be knowledge transfer, we do a lot of things down there with uh, teaching first world practices in third world country uh, so that the farmers, instead of growing three tomatoes, can grow a, a basket or a truckload of tomatoes. We have aquaculture teaching them how to raise fish. We have small engine repair, diesel mechanics. We have uh, Chef Jock who is teaching culinary arts so that these kids can, and believe it or not, there is a tourist industry coming to Haiti. And these kids can get jobs of chefs. The great opportunity for Christians who've made it in America, and maybe your kids are out of college and gone. You've got empty nest and free time, maybe resources. Maybe you're retired like me. Brenda and I started CORE when we retired, and it's been one of the most real. If I'd known being a missionary was this much fun, I'd stop preaching a long time ago, Mike. It, it's been a blessing to do. But maybe you have a skill 
that you could teach some of those young people in Haiti so that they could literally make a living and get out of poverty themselves. There are a lot of ways that can work, and believe me, if you want to do something in Haiti, you'll find partners who will join you, and you'll find people who will welcome you if you can teach them something that will better their lives. There, there's an old story about the elephant and the mouse had a party. There was lots of dancing. When it was over, the mouse had been crushed. Well, sometimes we Americans kind of go about it that way. We get excited about something, and we rush in. But there's an unusual culture in Haiti. It's, a, it's an interesting place to work. But believe me, those 800,000 kids in those orphanages and care facilities, when they turn 16, 17 years old, they have to get out. And most of them have nobody. They have nothing. And one of the things that we're challenged with right now is trying to, to begin vocational programming for these kids. It's, it's a burden to see a child that's been taken care of in an orphanage, and when they're out, they don't have anything. No stake to get started, no opportunity, no resources, no body to stand behind them. They're literally on their own. So the opportunities to do something in Haiti are all over the place. And if you've got a burden for that, we would love to help you find a way to unburden yourself and help the poor in Haiti. Now the E, quickly the E stands for enterprise. That could easily be evangelism. It could be education. We do both of those. But we use the term enterprise because CORE is a business as ministry approach to missionary work. We use smallholder poultry enterprise as our tool. I was at a meeting um, at the University of Florida. I'm sure they do this at Florida State as well. Uh, but, and they were, it was the heads of agriculture and, and uh, medical attention outside the United States, international professors. And they were talking about poverty alleviation. And I, I simply raised my hand, does anybody know a tool that works for poverty alleviation? And one of the professors said, well, there was a study in Bangladesh, smallholder poultry enterprise, you can look that up. And I did. And it's fascinating. And there are hundreds, thousands of pages written about this study of uh, smallholder poultry. And that's a chicken coop. I like smallholder poultry enterprise. It sounds smarter than I am. It's a chicken coop. And so we began to look at a chicken coop business. Is that have, does that have the roots of poverty alleviation? And we discovered that it had great potential. And so we began with a model. That model has changed and grown and matured. But today we have 180 farmers in Haiti, men and women, who are growing together about 10,000 chickens every week. Um, we just got a contract this year for 7,000 birds for uh, Haiti broilers, which is uh, like Tyson. It's Jamaican broilers, like Tyson or Purdue here in the States. And our farmers literally are raising healthy chickens. We're continuing to work on the market. Inflation is just terrible in Haiti right now. But uh, we're overcoming that, working out the problems. And these 180 people are folks that have been in the dollar-a-day category who all of a sudden have opportunity and resources in this business as ministry. And it's changing their lives, literally. There's an old proverb that says, you say you love the poor, name them. Well, it, it started for Brenda and I when we had three names. 
Seema Chanda Suraj, little Indian kids. It changed everything for us. Let me show you some of the folks that we work with in Haiti. And these are real people. And before they began their business, they were poor people, very poor. We only work with extreme poverty, dollar-a-day folks who are committed to their church, Christian people. We do it in groups of 10. And after the training, we offer them a loan, $4,000. Now, if you're making a dollar a day, that's the world. But $4,000, and then a lot of support. We have BAFs and MAFs and directors and all kinds of folks that come alongside. They raise their chickens in six weeks to about six pounds. They sell them, 400 chickens at five or $6 a bird. They got $1,000, $1,200 in their hands. They make a loan payment. They buy their next cycle of chickens. They give to their church. We teach them, be generous with your church. I'm a churchman, not a chicken farmer. My long-term goal is to have a middle class in the Haitian church. And then they save some for themselves, and then they have enough. Send their kids to school. You'll see some of the things that they've done. And it's making a difference. Your investment in the people in, in Haiti is not just a handout. It's a way out of poverty, a foothold in economy for their lives. Let me introduce you to some of these folks. Uh, our rock star, I'll give you her, her name is Magaline. Magaline doesn't read or write. She was insistent that she wanted a chicken coop. Our guys couldn't train her the traditional way. They had to literally make a picture book to trade Magaline how to raise her chickens. Today, she is our best farmer. She raises the biggest chickens, has the lowest mortality rates. She sells them for the best price. She is relentless. She is an entrepreneur. She now has not only her chicken business that's expanded. She paid off her loan. She now has a fish business. When she sells her chickens, she takes extra money, goes down and buys some big chunks of fish at the ocean, brings them back, has a cooler, and sells them off in little pieces to her neighbors. And she is just, she's doing great. This woman who can't read or write now has one of the most successful businesses in our ministry. And she's sending her kids to school. That was her greatest delight. School's not free in Haiti. Have to pay for it. And now all of her kids go to school. They have the uniforms and they're pictured right there. This next family live up in Maribelay. Their house was destroyed not by the hurricane, but just by a, a hard storm. It was a stick house. We built a chicken coop for them. And they lived in the one end of the chicken coop. They put... Uh, little beds across the top and as the chicks grow they expand and take the whole coop and these folks lived in there with their chicks until they were able to get another house built next to their coop but their business is doing well and they paid for that house out of the proceeds of their coop this is our team of um, BAF and MAF BAF is a, a business agent facilitator it's like a field agent MAFs are the marketing agent they're the salespeople. and then some of our directors we have about 30 of them all together that work with us in Haiti all of them are Christians. Uh, most of them came from the dollar-a-day poverty category. They have jobs. Uh, most of the young men, when they got this job, it wasn't long that they got a wife as well. It seems like a job and a wife go together in Haiti. I want to show you a, a little guy who's a part of our feeding program. We, we go to some good places in Haiti that take care of the kids in really wonderful ways. We go to some really bad places in Haiti. Um, We've tried to do something about this one. There's a guy named John Claude. I don't know if you guys went over there or not, but he's just not a good man. We, we think he, uh, he has a brothel. that uh, He sells some of the kids. It's an awful situation. But when we go there, we always uh, 
continue to go, and he lets us in most of the time. Sometimes he locks us out. But if we take shoes, for instance, we take the old shoes with us and put the new shoes on their kids because he'll take the old shoes, put them back on the kids, and sell the new ones. And when we feed there, we always stay. We prepare the food on site, and we stay, and we feed the kids. <clears throat> we went there one day. This is my daughter holding a little boy named Jefferson. We found Jefferson nearly dead. Jefferson was uh, unresponsive. His eyes would barely open. And uh, we said he needs medical attention. John Claude said, no, nah, he'll be all right. And my daughter, you'd have to know Jenny, she was insistent. She wouldn't put him down, and she walked out the gate with this baby. We took him to the hospital and uh, got him some medicine and got him on a, a, a better observed feeding program. And a month later, I want to show you a picture of Jefferson. This is what a little bit of attention will do for a child in Haiti. Isn't that something? I wish I could tell you they're all like that. At the same place, uh, we went back, and Peter Noble, who works with me and myself, we went, uh, John Claude wasn't there, so we took the opportunity to walk around in the back where the kids sleep. We aren't allowed back there generally. And we found another little boy. They, had, they have beds that are three high and, and just hot, awful heat. Little boy laying in there, unresponsive, looked worse than Jefferson. We picked him up, and we just took him to the hospital. And uh, we told the hospital, you keep him here as long as you need him. We'll pay the bills. We had to leave the country the next day. John Claude came to the hospital, took him back to his place, and he died a couple of days later. Uh, what kids have to live with because of poverty, not just in Haiti, any place where poverty is like that, uh, it's, it's heartbreaking. But Jefferson's one of the good stories, and he's still doing well today. This is Raul. Raul is an older fellow. He had a bunch of kids, but they're all raised out of his house. And he was one of the late bloomers. He decided he wanted to try a coop. And so he got a coupe, and all of his life, Raul has walked. He's never had a car, didn't even think about having a car. He's always wanted a little motor scooter, and a lot of those in Haiti, and you can get a new one for $900,000, something like that. Raul, when we went to see him the last time I was there, he took us out and showed his chickens, and then he said, come here, come here. And he took us into his house, which is a little uh, stick and mud house. And he keeps it in the house, but he had bought a used motorcycle from the proceeds of his chicken coop. And he was incredibly proud that now he had wheels and he could get around town. By the way, the women are much better money managers too. Men, I'm sorry, but the women's pay their, their loans on time. The women pay bills. They send their kids to school. The guys go out and they buy wheels. You know, that's just kind of the way it is. Next picture is Alicia. Alicia was... Uh, our first ever fat chicken contest. We do this every Christmas now in all of our areas, and we're in about 12 different areas in Haiti now. And we have a fat chicken contest, which is a marketing tool to teach the farmers always how to keep the, the weight growing. And your church, by the way, has helped us with solar panels, and the solar panels are installed on the chicken coops, and a light burns all night long, and the chickens eat literally around the clock. And it's increased the weight of our birds, which increases income for our farmers um, with those solar panels. But the fat chicken contest is a celebration. We have a big banquet, but we give a prize, um, a thousand goods, you know, like $30 or something like that to the winner of the fat chicken contest. And the first winner in the area up in Mirabalay was Alicia. She's in the yellow uh, shirt there. And I got the picture on my iPhone 
shortly after it was taken, the day of the weighing and the, the party, and I saw the picture of Alicia, and I was really happy for her. But then, you know on your iPhone how you can kind of spread it out? I spread it out, actually look at the chicken, and you know what I noticed? You see those little set of eyes in there? Look at the next slide. You see that little girl? Alicia is a, a widow. She has five kids. This is her youngest daughter. And poverty has a second generation if we don't do something about it. And I thought, what an incredibly neat thing it is for this little girl to look up and see her mama successful in her own business. And she's the winner. She got the prize. And the pride that there must be in that mom and in that little girl to see what's possible for their lives. The last family I want to introduce you to are Jabon's family. Jabon is uh, one of our farmers. And uh, this is he and his family standing in front of their new house. And the story that you're going to watch in this video in just a second is, um, is one that really capsulizes what CORE is about, why we do what we do. Because he was able to provide for his family, not out of the charity that came from an American church, but out of the labor of his own hands. In his business, he cared for his family. Now think of the difference as a dad, a parent, a mom and a dad who've worked together on this farm, able to take care of their family, send them to school because they have an opportunity and some resources. That's what CORE does. That's what our partnership together is doing. We're feeding kids and we're giving economic opportunity to some of the poorest people on earth. Doing it in Jesus' name as a practical touch of Christ in us reaching out to those of like precious faith. Thanks for listening to this message. If you'd like to find out more about Northridge, visit our website at northridgechristian.com. If you'd like to stay connected throughout the week, download our ChurchLink app today for your iOS or Android device.